Hey, 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 this episode of Tales from the Backlog is brought to you by the patrons of the Tube Podcast Network. These personal heroes of mine, such as Chris Nelson, the top three podcast crew, Zolgeek, Colby Moyer, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Nick Ficori, Jill, Soccer, ZNA, Cupcake, Kyle, Christian S., Matt, aka Stormageddon, JD, Doug Leaf, Jason Emery, and many more have all chosen to go to patreon.com slash real Dave Jackson to kick me a few bucks a month to help support the shows. I appreciate all of them very much. And aside from them getting their name read out on the show, they are also getting the ability to vote in polls for what game to come up on the show, bonus episodes, and much more. You can join them at patreon.com slash real Dave Jackson. Any and all support is always appreciated. And with that being said, let's get on to Baldur's Gate. Hello, everybody. My name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog. This is a video games review podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to take a game out of the backlog, play it, and discuss. My guest today is a friend of the show, host of the Deleted Saves podcast, and accomplished game master, Phil Morgan. Welcome to the show, Phil. Good to be on, Dave. Thank you. Yeah, uh, it's been a long time uh, coming having you on the show. We had a been working on this for a long time, but I think we found the perfect game today, Baldur's Gate. But before we get into Baldur's Gate, I do want to give you time at the beginning of the show to uh, tell everybody what Deleted Saves is, because it's a podcast that I was just listening to it this afternoon. (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, Deleted Saves is, uh, long story short, it's me walking through chronologically the games that I've played that have stuck with me long after I stopped pl- playing them, either completed the game or stopped playing them whatsoever, and deleted the save files because I have a habit of doing that uh, to save memory space. It is a short-form podcast, no longer than usually between 5 and 20 minutes, although a recent episode of mine ran very close to 30. I'm very bingeable, <laughs> um, so if you have some time on a lunch break, it's a great thing to go over. Now, I will mm-hmm. warn people, it's a little bit more of a storytelling podcast. I'm not really deep diving into the um, ins and outs and particulars of a game unless I feel it is necessary. I do try to give a run-through historic kind of thing, and then I kind of give a little bit of what the critics think, and then I give my thoughts. Right. Yeah, that's uh, some of the key things there. Like The first thing is, unlike this show, unlike a lot of the shows in our circles uh, that we run in, Uh, like you said, five to 20 minutes. And so like the other day or last week or whenever, when your last of us episode came out, I was like, holy shit, like this is 25 minutes. Feels lost control. (laughs) Absolutely. I've, I went completely crazy. No, when I was on, when I was writing it and I do read from a script, when I was hitting about page seven, I went, I really need to edit the hell out of this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, one of the other things that I like about your show is that I I don't always agree with your opinions on the show, but I always respect where you're coming from. And I respect Mm -hmm. how uh, you are not afraid to take on critical darlings. So like you didn't shit all over The Last of Us for 25 minutes, but there were issues that you took with it. One of your other episodes that um, 
you took issue with a popular game was uh, Silent Hill 2. And it's mm-hmm. a game that, you know, I personally, I love that game. But when I listened to your episode, I was like, he, he makes some great points here. Like, I'm not, mm-hmm. not going to fight back on this. This all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. If it's if it comes up at a game, like I said, with The Last of Us, I think it's a competent game. There, I don't have really any problems with the story or the execution. It's kind of more the, I think, kind of like the bad takes and a lot of the takes surrounding it. Um, but I do realize that there's, you know, other aspects of the whole story that I don't have. So I'm just trying to give my opinion. Mm-hmm. And um, Silent Hill 2, I know you and I have talked a little bit about this privately. Yeah. It's, um, and I do understand why people love Silent Hill 2. Um, and it is a, it's a noteworthy game for a reason. The problem is because of my personal history, a lot of the things in the game were, I reacted to it very, very differently. Right. Than a lot of other people who thought, oh, hey, this is a great game, psychological horror. And I'm like, no, let me talk to you about this. Here's my opinion. Yeah. And I, I realized that wasn't going to jive with the, you know, the constituent, you know, of gaming. It's, it's not the main thought. And that's okay if it's not the main thought. I have no problem with being the outsider. I have no problem with being the unpopular opinion. Um, I'm not a popular guy to begin with. And... <laughs> You know, if you don't like what I have to say, I still appreciate that you gave me a chance and listened in. Yeah, yeah. And and this isn't to say that like every episode of the show is taking some popular game to task. That's not what deleted saves is every episode. But you know, I'm not sometimes. zero punctuation. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I and I appreciate that because I'm I'm never going to gaming content for people that are just angry at games all the time. And that's, you know, deleted saves is not that. Uh, I enjoyed the uh, the Evil Within episode just this afternoon, which uh, when we uh, when this episode comes out will be uh, a month in the past. But uh, something to go look forward to for everybody. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I'll give the uh, recommendation right now at the beginning for everyone to check out deleted saves for uh, bite-sized uh, walk through one person's gaming history and uh, the games that left a mark. So uh, we'll talk more about deleted saves before the spoiler break. But today we're talking about Baldur's Gate, which is an RPG developed by BioWare, published by Interplay for PC in 1998, with an enhanced edition remake, remaster, I'm not sure, developed by Overhaul Games, which is a subsection of Beamdog, which is the name people will associate. Published by Atari... Atari's still doing stuff for PC in 2012 <laughs> and um, ported to various other consoles and systems, uh, iPad and stuff, basically from that point on. Um, I played the Enhanced Edition on Switch. That's how I uh, experienced this. I love handheld gaming and story-heavy games, RPGs. They live on the Switch for me, even if it's a little bit clunkier than um, mouse and keyboard for a game like this. So... Elevator pitches for Baldur's Gate if someone's never played and they're not sure what it is. Uh, I wrote down the pitch is take a trip back to the old school RPG that at the time was uh, the modernization. It was the the modern computer RPG. What would you say, Phil? As I've said, it is Dungeons and Dragons brought to you behind the people or behind the brains that created Fallout. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, And you know, the this is a history. This is a part of gaming history, PC gaming in the '90s that I have like almost no experience with. Uh, so I, it always uh, shocked me to learn that 
this didn't come first. Fallout came before this uh, and Wasteland before that and so on and so forth. Uh, this took me 30 hours to play on Switch. Uh, I played on easy mode, which certainly helped me with the playtime. I feel like uh, I did some of the optional content, the Tales from the Sword Coast content. I did that. I did not do the Siege of Dragon Spear DLC. I started it and I was like, I don't want to, not feeling it. Um, <laughs> 30 hours sound like an average playthrough, or does that sound uh, short to you? No, I think that sounds about average. When um, And that's doing majority of the content. You don't have to do all the optional side quests and whatnot. But mm-hmm. about 30 hours sounds right. Okay, yeah. Uh, so this is where I'll say that if you have not played Baldur's Gate, don't worry, because we're not going to spoil uh, anything that happens in the story during this non-spoiler section. And as always, there will be a timestamp down in the show notes you can check for a uh, spoiler wall. So after that point, the spoilers will begin. Um, Although I'll just say up front, my enjoyment of this game was not really the story. The story was fun, but it wasn't like a story that's changing my life. More like the adventuring feel that got me uh, in this game. So um, starting off with our personal histories with this game. And of course, you can't talk Baldur's Gate without talking Dungeons and Dragons. So Phil, what is your history with D&D and then Baldur's Gate? Okay, my history with D&D, I started playing in what was known as second edition probably somewhere around 1993 or 1994. Mm-hmm. Um, friends of mine back where we grew up had started playing, but I didn't know. I was raised in a very uh, Catholic household. So, you know, of course, things like D&D were considered, you know, satanic. It was, you know, the, all the stuff <laughs> I loved, heavy metal, D&D, all of it was, was sending me down the path of ruin. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, however, uh, buddies of mine were playing and said, well, if we have a space open for you, we'll let you in. Jesus, I've known most of you half my life. What the hell at this point? <laughs> so they did. They let me play. And from probably about the first or second session, I was really hooked. Um, I'd always been a reader, like a profound reader um, mm-hmm. and a gamer. So it felt like the two hobbies had finally come together into one thing. Plus the idea of I can have a real-time conversation with my friends and the person running the story, and whatever I do can actively change the story in real time. It's not yeah. a game that's set down in programming. It's not a you know story where it's already been written out. I have a lot of play with this. So it was not long before I became the DM, the dungeon master, the guy running the story, mostly because our DM at the time was really inconsistent. So... I was like, I'll run stuff, and let's be honest, they were all bad. <laughs> Anytime you start learning this game system, you're like, literally, I'm leafing through three massive books full of rules going, um, yeah, you can you can do that. You hit the goblin for <laughs> 9,000 points of damage. That works. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> those dice were rolling. What does this have to freaking do with anything? Um, but you get more used to it, and you get to understand it over time. The first really like published game world that we played in was the Forgotten Realms. So when, after you know, a couple of years of adventuring in there as a player and later as a DM, I saw that there was a video game of it locked down to, I think, my local um, at the mall. For those of you who have listened to the show <laughs> for some time, you'll know the reference. Um, it used to be, well, everything's a GameStop now. I think it used to be an electronics boutique. Yeah, yeah. And they had a PC copy of Baldur's Gate right there and i purchased it i took it home and i loaded it on my 
was it Windows and originally it was a Windows 2000 computer and it kind of became my world for a couple months as I played this game. I really consider Baldur's Gate to be a foundational game in my library of gaming. Uh, not only because as much I enjoyed it, because it was immediately tied back to my tabletop hobby. Yeah. And a lot of the professional writers on this, I inadvertently learned how to write a better campaign, a better storytelling campaign by playing this game and like literally just ripping off entire scenarios and running them for my players. Um, does that work exactly? No. But Baldur's Gate taught me a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, part of the reason I'm so excited to talk about this game with you today is because I'm the exact opposite of you. Um, I've played D&D one time, uh, one play session that was like, okay, we're going to spend most of the time making our characters and then we're going to do one little scenario and then it's time to go home and we'll see you next week. And then we never saw each other next week. Oh, so. I'm sorry. No, that's <laughs> sadly how too many end. It's let's make your characters for four hours. Yeah. Then I'll get you started. Oh, look, it's midnight. We have to go. See you next time, folks. And they dip out. Right. Uh, I mean, it's it's not like their fault. It's just a group of adults that have trouble scheduling all at the same time. Mm-hmm. This is back in like 2015 or something like that. So yeah, one session of D&D. Uh, and we'll get to this later. It was not second edition and why that's important for this uh, this game here. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Second edition, um, we'll get to it, but it's there's a reason we're now in fifth edition. Right, yeah. Uh, so as a, a person who loves video games and RPGs, I always just thought of Baldur's Gate as like one of the OG, you know, RPGs on computers. And uh, as I started to explore the genre that was inspired by Baldur's Gate more and more, stuff like Planescape Torment, Disco Elysium, uh, the Divinity Original Sin games, stuff like that. Uh, and I love all of those games uh, a lot. So it's very clear to me that I like, you know, the computer RPGs, the tabletop style computer RPGs. I just never played Baldur's Gate. And then what it really was for me was uh, when Baldur's Gate 3 got announced and seeing that it was Larian Studios making it, makers Absolutely. of Divinity Original Sin, which are masterful games. It was like, oh, okay, well, why don't I just go play the first one? And then I heard that, you know, they're on switch. You can play on story mode if you don't want to fuck with the mechanics that much. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll go check these out. So that's the push I needed. And to get into some just kind of quick opening thoughts about the experience before we dive in, I had a lot of fun, like much more fun than I thought I would. I played on easy. So like, it's not that I ignored the mechanics, but I definitely didn't play the intended like difficulty level because by uh, let's say halfway through this game, I was already like, oh, I need to, I need to put it down so I can just make it through. Uh, there's a lot of rules and stuff that the game assumes you're going to know. And I just don't know. And I, I didn't have like, I don't have a, uh, you know, dungeon master's guide or whatever, like the Baldur's Gate manual. You can probably, uh, attest to this. The manual that came with the game back in the day was basically like a D and D guide, right? Yeah, it was a fairly beefy manual, probably, and I mean, computer games back in the day as opposed to console games usually had beefier manuals, but this one really kind of had to give you a primer if you've never played tabletop before, Yeah, what kind of shots the game was rolling, not like what it was rolling in the background, but what it was, you know, when it said, hey, make, you know, your character's saving versus poison or saving versus paralysis, what that meant, two hit, Thacko, which I'd hate to remember but it used to be a thing (laughs) 
why armor class was uh, a list of available spells and what they would do. I mean, you could read those in the game, but in the middle of a battle, you're really going to open like four menus to realize that fireball does X amount of damage, covers a certain amount of area, and is going to set your fo- your foes on fire. Right. Um, which is fine. You could it does what it says on the tin, but then there's something like um, grease. Right. <laughs> it doesn't really explain what the hell that does. Yeah. What it does is it covers a, an area and makes it difficult to rain. Um, something like web. What the hell does web do? Web explodes all over the place and makes it literally will paralyze who's ever on the field in its radius. If you don't yep. want to read through that, uh, you're in deep trouble. Yep. And that's why very quickly in this game, I turned it down to easy mode and then I turned it down to story mode at the end of the game. Uh, when I was totally getting lapped by what was going on. But other than that, um, I didn't come to this game thinking that I was going to have like a a really awesome mechanical experience. I knew it was going to be over my head. What I came to it for was that feeling of adventuring, doing some fun stories, and I got that. I was very satisfied with this game. So some kind of quick opening thoughts about Baldur's Gate from your perspective, uh, maybe for people who haven't played it. Okay, uh, Baldur's Gate, and at this point, I absolutely recommend going with the Enhanced Edition. Trying mm-hmm. to find the original from 1998, uh, unless you have an old, old, old PC that still runs Windows 2000, forget about it. Uh, most even digital stores, even Steam or GOG or whatnot, have moved over to the Enhanced Edition at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a good foundational game if you want to know a little bit more about uh, the Baldur's Gate lore, the the Forgotten Realms lore that isn't directly tied to anything involving the character of Drista Yurden and R.A. Salvatore, who wrote a lot of those and really popularized them. Um, it's still in one of the most well-known areas of the game setting, as opposed to this large map of this world. But it really kind of takes on a different perspective, and it's something that... You can play through, get to understand the world without having to buy all the books and run through adventure modules. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take a little music break. And then when we come back, we're going to set up the story. We're going to talk about the setting of Baldur's Gate a little bit. So Baldur's Gate, the first game, is set in the Forgotten Realms D&D setting in the Sword Coast region. And that was one of the things that, like, I didn't know. Obviously, I have no experience with the Forgotten Realms. I've just heard it a bunch from listening to video game podcasts. Uh, So this is my first experience with it, and specifically the Sword Coast. And one of the things that was surprising to me is... In a lot of uh, RPGs, you kind of span the globe. You go all over the place. This one's very, very localized. Baldur's Gate 2 as well, that like um, I'm playing right now, I'm playing Baldur's Gate 2, and the same kind of thing. It's much more uh, localized in this small area than I would have ever expected, aside from, you know, diversions into pocket dimensions and shit like that, right? Mm -hmm. But that was surprising to me. 
Yeah, the Sword Coast itself is much of the the world of Forgotten Realms uh, created by Ed Greenwood, who is still alive. If you guys want to check him out, he has even has a YouTube channel about it um, where he talks about it. But a lot of the Forgotten Realms is based very much on our world map. So mm-hmm. it very much has a lot of callbacks to the real world. The Sword Coast itself, if I were to place it um, based in the region between Baldur's Gate 1 and Baldur's Gate 2, would be very much uh, southern France along Spain and Portugal. Mm-hmm. Because if you continue further north, you get into areas that are beginning to be um, places like Waterdeep, Neverwinter, and later the Icewind Dale, which are all connected to kind of like northern, you know, sort of Viking-style Europe and things like that. And uh, and seen in other games, right? Neverwinter yes. Nights and Icewind Dale. Dale, yeah. The Sword Coast is very temperate. It is about what you would expect um, just a middle-of-the-road Europe to be. Mm-hmm. There's no extreme weather. There's nothing terrible. But it's got a few major cities that are all not unified. It's not a nation. So they're contesting with each other. Yeah. And um, in uh, Baldur's Gate, the main city that you're going to be um, dealing with is the city of Baldur's Gate, which, again, I didn't even know that was the name of a city. I just thought it was a cool name for a game, Baldur's Gate. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, In Baldur's Gate, you create your own character uh, at the beginning, uh, which character creation for me is always a bit of a stressful process uh, in video games. And this one, when I had no idea what was going to be expected of my like, you know, roll for how many stat points you get and stuff. I was like, well, I'm just, I'm going to go on Reddit and look what's the maximum I can reasonably get it. And then just kind of roll until I get that. <laughs> yeah. So that worked out. Yeah. All of that stuff is very unusual because you kind of have to know that depending on what character class you play and mm-hmm. what character race or ethnicity you play, you're going to get bonuses and minuses. Uh, if you're a human, congratulations. You are bog standard middle of the road. Right. But <laughs> the maximum you can get in any of your six stats, which are strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Yes, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma are all separate stats. Is uh-huh. an 18. <laughs> uh, unless you're a fighter, unless you are a purebred fighter, then you can roll on a percentile die that gives you from a 01 to a 00. 00 meaning 100. So it's basically you are Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I know, it breaks up a lot, kind of silly. But let's say you are a dwarf instead. Now your constitution is a 19, so you get a ton of health, a ton of hit points, but your charisma is now at maximum like a 16 or a 17 because you're supposed to be surly and nobody likes you. If you're an elf, on the other hand, your dexterity is a 19. You're agile, you're wonderful, you're graceful with a bow. You're, I think what they get in return, though, they lose a little bit of wisdom because they're considered flighty. Sure. Now, this was very <laughs> second edition. This is not yeah. This is not modern D&D. This is not fifth edition, and this is not how other things like divinity or whatnot handle it. Right. But if you don't know that, then you're coming in at a disadvantage. Yeah. And so I did a little bit of searching. I was like, okay, what's the path of least resistance for a character? And they were like, okay, human fighter. And I said, okay, I'm a human fighter. And mm-hmm. um, so that's that's what I did. That And I brought my character into Baldur's Gate 2, where I am still a human fighter. Uh, so your character in this game starts out as an orphan, uh, 
not starts out. You are an orphan and a ward of a mage named Gorion. Uh, one day, Gorion suddenly tells you uh, that you have to leave. You have to leave your home of Candlekeep uh, with him. And as soon as you leave town, you're ambushed and Gorion is killed uh, when he refuses to hand you over to the attackers. And so this story kind of starts out with uh, you in the dark as to why you were attacked, where you're supposed to go next. They give you a a, a little hint in like a note or something that says, hey, your friends will be waiting for you at this inn. And then that's all you have to follow. Just go to this inn. And it really starts out as a mystery as to why all of this is happening. That mystery unfolds throughout the rest of the game. And I won't spoil what it is, but I will say the reason why everyone wants a piece of your ass in this game is very cool. It was a cool reveal and I somehow was not spoiled by it all up until now. So I won't spoil it for everybody else. Right. And I won't, I won't spoil it either because it is a really good reveal. And it's also very in keeping with Forgotten Realms lore. And we'll get into that lore a little bit more in the spoiler section. So uh, for now, I will just say that that reveal and like that mystery and stuff was okay. The reveal of what's going on is cool, but like the beat by beat story is pretty, uh, it, it's, it's tabletop adventure type stuff. You're adventuring, you're going through mines and dungeons and uh, taking out evil wizards and stuff like that. It, it's fine. It's not super remarkable as a story. I don't feel like. But like the the flavor of like what you're doing and why you're doing and political machinations and uh, cults and conspiracies and stuff, it's all there in this game. Oh, absolutely. Um, it really does kind of run the the bare basics of how to run a D&D story. So it's all about escalation. It's you going from, okay, I am a beginning adventurer. I'm going to go slay a couple kobolds or goblins. Oh, the goblins work for somebody else. Well, let's go find out who that is. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's see. We we stopped that point and somewhere about the middle. uh Uh-oh, we thought we had this cult to this organization. We wiped them out. Turns out they're just in the arm of some other big bad, whoever. (laughs) And ultimately you find out by, you know, 10th level what's been going on and who's responsible for what. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that um that that 10th level because this is like early game D&D, right? In Baldur's Gate, mm-hmm. you're going from level 1 to level 10 maximum, I feel like. I think I beat the yes. game at like level 8 or 9 with my main character. Um and there are more levels to go and that's what Baldur's Gate 2 does. So yes. talk about that a little bit in like what you're doing in the quests. This is low-level adventuring in Baldur's Gate 1. So your first quest is uh, go kill a basement full of rats. And then you do go out and you're doing kind of basic stuff. You're not fighting uh, entire like mages' guilds worth of uh, advanced wizards in this game, at least not for a long, long time. You're mm-hmm. going to kill monsters or you're you may, maybe you go and you're trying to take down this organization and you just fight a bunch of soldiers, you know, kind of basic stuff like that. And that plays into like the, the narratives of these, these quests as well. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this is, this is D and D this has set the standard and including every joke you ever heard about fantasy role-playing games, including up to world of Warcraft. Oh, collect me 20, you know, kobold anuses or, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> go down the road and, you know, 15, uh, rat tails, something like that. Yeah. It's because of how second edition was run is that, if you went in the monster's manual, every monster was given so many experience points. 
And it was kind of up to the DM to decide, well, if I throw 10 goblins at a party of four players, they might be able to survive. And at the end of the day, the math will divide up and they'll get a little bit of experience each. We do this rinse and repeat enough times that eventually you hit second level. And then I can rinse and repeat this a few more till you hit third and then fourth and then fifth and so on and so on. And I will say this, the experience system in second edition, which is carried over into Baldur's Gate, is ridiculous. <laughs> you need two, uh, for a fighter alone, you need 2,000 experience points just to gain second level. Mm. And it goes from there. If you are the lowest class, is a thief. Thief needs only 1,250 experience points to advance right. to second level. Paladins and mages have it the worst. They have to get 2,250 experience points before they can level up. Mm -hmm. Worse, there used to be a system called dual classing, and there used to be a system called multi-classing. What was dual classing? Only humans can do it. And at some point, you got to switch to an another class, provided you have the stats to cover it. You can never go back to your first class, and you can access maybe their abilities you worked up to that point once you hit the equal and then greater level in the new class, mm -hmm. which makes it difficult in Baldur's Gate because there's only so much experience to go around. Multiclassing. You could not be a human. You had to be what was known as a demi-human. So you had to be an elf, a dwarf, a gnome, a halfling, whatever. Then you could take multiple classes, up to three, depending on what it was. And all of them had separate experience rosters that dinged at different times and gave you different abilities and slight bumps to hit points and whatnot, it was a mathematician's nightmare. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm listening to that explanation and just going like, yeah, that's, there's a reason I just stuck with the fighter. I didn't dual class. I didn't do anything. Just straight up fighter for this entire campaign, uh, even into Baldur's Gate 2 so far. But that kind of low-level adventuring, even though it might be kind of simple in what you're doing and what the, the story is telling you to do, I thought that it was, uh, number one, it was fun adventuring. That's the feeling I wanted from this, and that's the feeling I got. And that's kind of a hard-to-quantify thing. Like, what is it? How can you quantify something being good at feeling like being on an adventure? I don't fucking know. Mm -hmm. But in Baldur's Gate, it really <laughs> feels like that. Um, part of that is what you're doing. And part of that is uh, the group of characters that can join your party. You can have uh, five other characters join your party. You'll quickly meet uh, enough to fill out your party and quickly start meeting people you have to either turn down or replace uh, someone with in your party. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of these characters uh, became really memorable and became characters that I specifically was hoping to see again in Baldur's Gate 2. Most famous of all is probably Minsk, I feel like, uh, of of the side characters. Uh, Minsk, <laughs> the warrior that has a, uh, a pet hamster named Boo, and always just shouting battle cries about him and his hamster. Very memorable guy. Uh, always a member mm. of my party. Yeah, Minsk has become kind of the most famous character that came out of the Baldur's Gate series. Mm -hmm. um, he's actually shown up in later tabletop games. Um, they actually have an ongoing comic starring him and he is he is what was known as a ranger a ranger is if you think of it this way um aragorn from yeah. the lord of the rings he is the same class why because obviously the makers gary gygax and dave arneson ripped off the lord of the rings and just ported that right in <laughs> mince however has had a head injury at some point so he's a really great guy but he's not very bright mm -hmm. and his Companion animal is a 
miniature giant space hamster named Boo. That's right. I forgot the key detail, the giant space hamster. He's hamster. <laughs> this never used to be a thing. However, because he's so popular, there's actually a D&D supplement for 5th edition that has the giant space hamster as a, as a thing. You could pick okay. up as a companion pet. Um, <laughs> Boo was a special one because he was miniature. Right. Um, and even... They, I like this detail they added. If you go into Minsk's inventory, you'll see one of his quick weapon spots is taken up by Boo. Right. If you attempt to remove Boo, you'll hear squeak, and you'll get this scroll, text scrawl that basically says Minsk is going to kill you if you attempt to remove Boo from his personal possessions. <laughs> Leave him alone. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you, you do hear those squeaks. Uh, when, when Minsk does his voice lines and stuff, you hear the squeaks from Boo as well, too. Um uh, there were other people in the party that made up um, a really fun group. I'm starting, you know, I'm playing Baldur's Gate 2 right now, so I don't want to mix up, you know, who's in my party in Baldur's Gate 2. Yeah. Although Minsk is there. Uh, he's part of the party there, too. Um, and Minsk has uh, stuff to do in that game. He's on a quest. So the side characters, though, they're all really likable. Um, I have a, a MON who's like your your sibling of sorts. I don't know if they're your real sibling. I don't remember. Um, no, adopted sibling. Adopted sibling, right. And um, so Imoen has like story significance because uh, she's, you know, related to you and your story from Candlekeep. And then um, I rolled with Nira, who I, uh, who I take as a new character from the Enhanced Editions. Uh, but I yes. liked her a lot, the Wild Mage. Yeah, the, she is brand new. Um, Imowen has been around a while. She's been around forever. She's one of the originals. I know in my most recent playthrough, I tried to keep it uh, about as uh, standard as it could be. Mm-hmm. But I also picked a couple characters that I really haven't ever played with before. Um, usually because how I, I run a game, I try to be a, a, a good character. I had to, like alignment, you know, good, evil, or neutrality really do play a, a part in these games. And I try to right. run as a good character. Um I took Imowen with me because of things that I know is coming up in Baldur's Gate 2 that you do not, so I won't spoil right. them for you. <laughs> um, I did stick with Khalid and Jahira, even though, yeah. honestly, Jahira gets on my nerves a lot. But Khalid is a useful fighter. I took also... Uh, there's a paladin that you can find north of the friendly arm in. It's like uh, Ajatka, I think is his name. Uh, mm-hmm. He is just a paladin which is, I haven't used him before. He's okay. He's kind of boring, really. And uh, another another ranger who I've always taken I like, you can find him uh, west of a, uh, or around, I think, a place called the High Hedge. He's a ranger, but with him, he has a limited story time. So if you don't complete his missions, which line up with the main story missions in a, in a hurry, he just up and leaves your party. Mm-hmm. And one more longstanding character I've had called Branwen. Uh, she's a cleric. And she needs to be unfrozen from a carnival outside of uh, Nashkel. Gotcha. Yeah. So like even a couple of those characters, I did not use them. I don't think I ever met them. Um, Or if I did, I already had a full party and was like, sorry, you're just going to stand outside this inn for the rest of time, I guess. Uh, But I actually found my party. Um, It was Imoen, Nira, Minsk, Dinahir, who's the mage that is with Minsk. Uh, You meet them uh, as part of a related quest. And then Yeslik, who's a cleric uh, fighter, was part of my party there. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, party members leaving because this is part of the the, the role playing a little bit. Uh, characters will leave if they don't like you, if they don't like yep. your actions, if they don't like your um, 
your alignment, that's the D&D word, your alignment, they'll leave. Uh, they'll say, hey, really fucked up what you did. I'm leaving. See you later. Yeah. And I they think will that's bug pretty out. cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, there's one, um, because this is kind of an old racist trope of D&D second edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, during Baldur's Gate, you have the chance to, especially with the enhanced edition, you have the chance to recruit uh, two different drow, dark elves. Mm-hmm. And... Although Drizzt Yurden is the most famous Dark Elf, he's a good guy, it is considered that the Dark Elves are all universally evil. A bit unfair, but it is yeah. how they wrote it. Well, both drow you could recruit are on the evil spectrum, even if they like you. If you have an all-good party or even mostly neutral, uh, the second you recruit them, I had an entire party just like say, fuck this, I'm out, and they left. <laughs> leaving me and this drow going, looking at each other going, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't even say anything. They're just like, no, drow, evil. You are yeah. with evil. Get out of here. <laughs> or if you have a bunch of neutral players, they will complain. They will just whine and complain the entire time about, hey, you're, you're tipping the balance to evil here. We don't like this. Come on. Mm-hmm. They'll, um, they'll comment on, yeah, other characters that join your party. They'll comment on actions that you do. Um, and in... I don't remember if this is in Baldur's Gate or if it's only in Baldur's Gate 2, but if they give you a quest that's like their quest and you ignore it for too long, they'll say, all right, fuck you. I'm going to go work on this. Come join me later if you want to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And Keevan is not the only one. There's a couple um, who, if you don't hurry up, they will absolutely just bug off and say, hey, look, um, you promised me when we started this, if I was going to help you, you'd help me out. Yeah. You didn't do that. Bye. Yep, exactly. So um, it's it's it, all of those things kind of work together to build up this uh, this group. Like you, you feel connected to your group. I didn't want anything bad to happen to my characters, and the adventures that you go on are just a lot of fun. Uh, the The writing is entertaining in the right ways to give you interesting situations, interesting twists, and like you said, that escalation of like this person is not actually in charge. The next person's in charge and then you go take care of them. And Oh, these three people are ahead of them. And it's this whole mm-hmm. thing that keeps building and building and building until you're at the highest level that this game can, uh, can give to you. So, um, the story in Baldur's Gate was pretty fun. Overall, I had a good time adventuring. Uh, we'll talk about some of our favorite, uh, quests, our favorite dungeons, plot beats and stuff in the spoilers section. Uh, for now, I think it's time to move into talking about how this game looks and how it sounds. So this game is in an isometric perspective. Uh, it, again, if you played Fallout or if you played any number of the RPGs that came in like the lineage of Baldur's Gate, same kind of perspective. Although this one is, um, you can zoom in and out a lot more than a lot of the other games uh, that I've played in this genre. I don't know if that's an enhanced edition thing, but people are going to be playing the enhanced edition anyway. So uh, if it's if you're going to go in for the first time. Um, I like this perspective. It, it allows them, along with like doing um, 
pixel art instead of trying to make things look super realistic. It allows these environments to have a ton of detail. And this was starting to get into a time when like people were experimenting with 3D. I mean, we're well into the PlayStation and N64 era at this point, but Mm -hmm. Baldur's Gate, at least the enhanced edition, which is up for modern systems and stuff, I think it still looks great. A lot of memorable locations, lots of environmental details. All that stuff looks awesome. Yeah, they did a fantastic job. Yes, you are correct. The scrolling in and out is very much an enhanced edition feature. Okay. Uh, this was not really a thing during the original. So when I saw it, when the EE edition came out, I was very happy for this. Yeah. <laughs> because um, another thing that they do in the graphics setting is you've kind of seen this in some more modern uh, CRPGs, but what they did was called the Fog of War. Right. Which right. is literally the whole screen is blacked out, not only on your map, but in your visual field until you go and explore it. This mm-hmm. also leads to surprises from enemies. Uh, surprises from NPCs, mm-hmm. uh, un- discovering locations, but you really can't see a bloody thing until you literally go there and look it out. So yeah. that's it gives it, you know, gives it a version of, well, I already know where the important part of the map is here, so I'm going to ignore everything, just bulldoze my way right to that spot. Unless you come in with previous knowledge, you don't. So you literally have to go explore. Yeah. But a lot of the graphics, especially for the time they were put out, um even compared to a lot of other PC games in 98, they really did these wonderful old world forest Mm -hmm. uh, looks to it. The pixel art is very good. Uh, The characters can be a little on the small side, but Mm -hmm. again, if you ever played fallout one and two, it's about the same size as your characters (laughs) in that. Um, The sound though, the, the quality of the sound is phenomenal. From the background music, which is very orchestral, very much in keeping with what you would find in, like, say, a Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movie, to nature sounds, just bird chirp, the sound Mm -hmm. of running water. None of it's digitized, all of it's spot on. The voice acting is phenomenal. There's not really, except for maybe one or two cases, there's not really a stinker amongst the whole bunch. They're usually very, very good. Yeah, the voice acting was funny to me. As uh, as as someone who this this happens in a lot of uh, older games, like when voice acting was just starting to become like a standard thing in video games, you know, you'll get per- voice performances where there's not a ton of nuance with a lot of the voice acting. They're all like putting on a performance, you know. That's what I got from these voice acting performances. So there's a lot of them that are very bombastic, or like even the characters that are more laid back are still. Um, very like vibrant performances, you know, like a, like a stage actor might put on a voice uh, to do their lines or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Of course, Minsk is one of the more memorable voice performances because he's always shouting, but um, uh, I'm thinking of the voice acting for Imo and and, uh, Nira and your character. Mm -hmm. um, You can choose like personalized barks in your character creation. And um, I gave my, my character like a, just a real gruff voice uh, from like the, you know, nine voices that I could choose for him. So Mm -hmm. um, I I think the voice acting for this time is, is interesting. I wouldn't put this up with like my favorite, most nuanced, like character work, you know, like voice acting Mm -hmm. today, but they're all putting on a performance. It's memorable. 
Yeah, there wasn't. Um, and you're right. It's it's very keeping in the idea with the dungeon masters putting on a voice so that you yeah, can yeah, yeah. differentiate characters. It is very <laughs> theatrical. There's not a whole lot of. I think famous voice actors from this time. I'm right. pretty sure the late great Tony J is one of the NPC repeat voice actors. Um, where you might have heard him again is uh, in Legacy of Kane's Soul Reaver. He was the voice of the um, thing that Raziel meets in the other side. Uh, he's done did a number of cartoons in the 90s and early 2000s. He's done a number of games. Um, over the years, and I recognize his voice in- instantly, but if you don't know it's him, he'll blend into the background. And yeah, the, they're putting on a performance, but I don't think they had a whole lot of really noteworthy. It's not a Nolan North. It's not a um, like an Ashley Johnson or something like yeah, that. It's, yeah. it's not those kinds of those voice actors. Yeah, um, which which again, to be fair, in 1998 – there wasn't a lot of voice actors like that in video games. There was this voice acting in video games. Like I praise metal gear solid for voice acting, but they're all putting on level 1000 performances too. It's just kind of how it was. And then you have, you know, the original voice acting for silent hill Two, which was, it felt like interns they pulled in to record lines. So they, this is they it's did. fun. <laughs> yeah. They actually did. The guy who plays James, this was his first ever, a uh, voice recording job, and I think it was also his last. Yeah, <laughs> poor guy. Uh, we we still support you. Um, and uh, no uh, no conversation about voice acting could uh, be complete with Baldur's Gate without the the line that everyone's going to hear many many times throughout the game. You must gather your party before venturing forth. Venturing forth. <laughs> yep. When because your characters move at different speeds, if you click somebody to like well, the four corners of the map to leave or go in a door. Mm-hmm. Or go out of a dungeon, or go anywhere. There's a screen transition. You'll hear a voice go, "You must gather your party before venturing forth." Yeah, it'll wait a couple seconds, and then it'll go, "You must gather your party before venturing." <laughs> forth. Jesus, I got the idea, pal. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying. I I'm playing this game on a switch. I don't know how to do it yet. Uh, the dwarf's but, stuck on a tree. What do you want me to do? Yeah, um, it's fun. I think that's one of the shared experiences that everybody who's played Baldur's Gate will come out of it. And they'll never forget that voice line. It's just, you're going to hear it so many times. So, um, yeah, uh, looks and sounds good. Um, I, 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 I always say that pixel art when it's well done, it doesn't really matter. Like from the super Nintendo era on, I would say will always look good. It's, it's a timeless style. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, divinity original sin looks shinier and that's a good looking game too. But mm-hmm. going back to this, I certainly didn't think like, wow, this looks like shit, uh, which I do think about some older games. Um, not this mm-hmm. one. Looks good. Yeah, I, th- I must have got, I think, a little bit of a graphical upgrade to just to make itself available on modern systems. Yeah, But for not sure. much of one. It looks pretty much like the original. Yeah, I, I think it's just resolution that they're trying to uh, to bring up. Of course, I didn't play the original, but... I, I didn't get the feeling like they're going to make this all shiny and stuff. It's definitely not like that. Uh, so let's, uh, let's talk about gameplay in Baldur's Gate. So we mentioned at the beginning, we've said a couple of times now, Advanced D&D Second Edition, uh, which we're not going to give a primer, an explainer on Second Edition in this podcast uh, because D&D left it behind. Baldur's Gate is leaving it behind. We've all left it behind. So we'll talk about how it affects your play in this game, but 
Um, just know this is an, an old version of D&D that's no longer being used. And it's just a product of the fact that this game came out in 1998. So mm-hmm. um, in this game, we already talked about uh, your party, but you're doing RPG stuff. You're walking around doing quests, leveling up, fighting, all of that stuff. We've kind of touched on that. Um, the first thing to mention at this is that this is real-time with pause combat, not like Fallout, which has turn-based combat. Uh, real-time with pause means you queue up actions and they play out in real time, but you can pause at any time to issue new commands. I don't like real-time with pause combat. I really dislike it. Um, it feels so micromanagey to me, and I don't know why, because in turn, you're making the same amount of decisions that you make in turn-based systems, I feel like, but I, I feel like I'm pausing the game every second to reevaluate and issue new commands based on what the enemies just did or something like that. And I, I, I fell off of pillars of eternity because of this. And, you know, I played this on easy. That's why I got through this game, but yeah, real time with pause combat. Are you still a fan or is it just like in your blood at this point with Baldur's gate? With my, me. Yeah. It's just in my blood at this point. Um, a lot of other systems have simply come along and have done it far better um yeah pillars of eternity and i think that's one of the problems with pillars that they were uh people started complaining about with pillars it's like this is too much like baldur's gate and the devs shot back with well you wanted us to run it like baldur's gate yeah the only other more modern game i could see that came out really that had real time with pause that I can think of might have honestly been Dragon Age Origins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It ran very much in a similar system. And then immediately for Dragon Age 2, and thereafter they totally scrapped that and moved on. But it is just a factor of, of its time. It was real-time combat, which of course unfortunately lends to, well, if enemies suddenly come in off that Fog of War screen and blitz me with something, um, I can't react fast enough. Yeah, not really an issue for me because I was playing on easy, but I definitely can see that uh, being an issue. Uh, the The only other game I played where I like got through real-time with pause combat was Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, which is also made by BioWare. Um, but that combat in that game is so simplified compared to Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate is like getting a, a fucking PhD and... KOTOR is like graduating from elementary school, basically. Mm -hmm. So I got through that, but it's much uh, simpler. Um, A lot of people, when I was talking about like, oh, I want to try Baldur's Gate, so many people told me to skip Baldur's Gate 1 and go straight to Baldur's Gate 2 because low-level D&D can be a uh, swing and miss fest because your characters, you know, rolling your dice, your skills kind of suck. You, you're just going to swing and miss a lot at the beginning of these games. I'm used, I was used to that. I grew like my first RPG that like I really dug into was Morrowind, which is also like that. You don't hit shit early game in Morrowind. Mm -hmm. So, and that's action combat. It feels even worse in Morrowind. So, um, I, that didn't really bother me. And I, I kind of wanted to push back on the idea that you should skip this game because of that. I really think that, number one, it's not a big deal because the enemies swing and miss a ton, too. It just kind of... Combat lasts a minute longer than it maybe should, but it's not a huge deal. But 
eventually that stops being an issue. You start hitting with basically everything. And you remember back to when you're failing to hit rats with a sword in a basement at the beginning of the game. And it, it makes you feel good about how far you've come, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I absolutely recommend you play this game as well. First of all, because the story of Baldur's Gate 2 is not going to make a hell of a lot of sense yeah, until agreed. you at least get the recap on this one. Um, second, you know what? It's, it is hard to emulate a tabletop in a video game. In mm-hmm. fact, it's almost impossible. But even in tabletop, the low levels under second edition, you would miss a lot. But then again, your enemies would also miss a lot. Because that depended on the Thaco system and how armor class and everything fed into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's reverse mathematics. Lower numbers are better numbers. I had it happen in Baldur's Gate. I had it happen a billion times in, in the tabletop. But I think people are also like, man, we can't be out here slaying vampires and cutting down wizards at first level. No. Yeah. No. no. The, the, the rules are set up a certain way so that your character can move up. D&D is... Originally, it was very wargamey. It was built to built to be like the kind of thing that people who would go out and reenact the Civil War or the Battle of Hastings, like over on the weekend. It's just mm-hmm. with fantasy skin on it now. Now, modern D anD D functions kind of like a fantasy superhero. It's a lot easier. the The rules have changed to make it a lot easier, but. There's still a lot of good storytelling in this in this first game. There's a lot of yeah. very good writing. Even if you're like, man, how many times, how many hobgoblins can I kill? They suck. They're a low level. They don't give me a lot of experience. Yes. However, you're not dead. You're getting more powerful. Mm-hmm. And if you'll notice, there is incremental increase in what you can handle. Yeah. If you just go out first level and start swinging at something out of your league, you're going to get crushed. Yeah, uh, that happened to me even on easy mode. I would still get wiped uh, from time to time. As, as tough bosses, even like early to mid game in this, would be would require some strategy from me. And you know, uh, party formation was important to make sure that if someone's throwing out AOEs, that my whole party's not going to get hit by it. And um, you know, maybe doing a little bit of stealth, which I, I didn't do a ton of in this, but you can uh, use that stuff. Hmm. One of the issues I had with this. And it has nothing to do with being low level or the way that this game is set up is, and this is happening in Baldur's Gate 2 as well, is that I don't like how some D&D rules transfer to video games. And the fact that I don't think they translated it one-to-one, like the exact rule set. They had to have altered some stuff for a video game, right? Yeah, they had to. Yeah. There's some stuff that just like... Imagine yourself in a tabletop campaign and like how frequently you get into combat in a tabletop session, right? You're you're mm-hmm. not going to get into like 50 combat encounters per hour in a tabletop session. You're going to be, you know, doing other stuff, walking through, exploring, going to towns, trying to solve problems, talking to NPCs. In a video game, you do so much more combat. And there's a couple of rules from D&D that just don't translate here. Your magic, especially in Baldur's Gate 1, when you don't have as many spell slots, uh, your magic in D&D is limited to like one or two casts per rest. And you have to rest to replenish how many times you can cast magic. So mm-hmm. it discourages you from using magic against anything but the most powerful enemy 
because then you're going to need to rest again. And if you rest out in the woods, you could get ambushed. Uh, if you rest in a dungeon, mm -hmm. you could get ambushed. Half the time you don't get good rest and you don't replenish your spell slots. Um, kind of sucks. Uh, the other thing is that if a character dies, you cannot revive them unless you like walk your ass back to a temple or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the fact that you're in combat so often means that characters have so many more opportunities to die. Uh, so this became a saves coming thing uh, to save before every place where I feel like there might be difficult combat so that if someone dies, I can just reload. Yeah, that's the problem. So those things did not translate well because in a lot of cases, magic in the tabletop is situational. About half the spells in the... Uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, or the Player's Handbook, were not meant to be used in combat. They were meant mm -hmm. to be used as augments, or used outside of combat. Um, so like Charm Person is really, really great in the middle of trying to haggle over a better price, or get the prince to listen to you. Mm -hmm. Not so good in the middle of combat. Um, you know, also, on the average night in a tabletop game, you might only fight once. And yeah. that combat, because of how many turns it takes between players and whatnot, they're going to say, well, you know, Joe, your, your elf fighter swings and misses. Uh, Mandy, your wizard casts, uh, you know, armor on yourself to, to buff up. Ted, your cleric is calling on the other god's power. Uh, Bob, your, you know, thief is currently trying to break open the treasure chest and grab as much gold as he can before the thing eats you and you have to go round and round and round. Mm -hmm. This, that's way more video gamey. They've had to use a lot of combat, a lot. Yeah. And you really, 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 really can get hit pretty bad, pretty quickly. And mm -hmm. a lot of the magic, again, they can't translate at all. They need to only stay with what's going to be useful in combat. But launching a fireball into a horde of goblins is great, but it's also useless. Um, you're better off saving that for a really big boss and because of how the rest system works, I'm just glad they didn't do the thing where in tabletop back then, you had to also have material components to cast a spell. So if you wanted to cast a spell, you also had to have a, a walloping handful of batshit to cast fireball. <laughs> if you had to, like if you were casting lightning bolt, you had to have certain types of crystals that you had to wave around. So like mm -hmm. literally in the tabletop game, your DM could go, hey, do you, you cast this spell? Do you have the components? No. Well, then you can't cast the spell. You lose the slot. I never bothered with that shit. I'm like, you fine, cast it. I don't care. I ain't micromanaging <laughs> this. I ain't going on the adventure of, of raiding the witch's hut in the middle of the swamp looking for hallucinogenic mushrooms just so you can commune with God. I don't care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, again, like you said, they do discourage use of magic, which should be a lot more... I mean, it's D&D. It's wizards. You're supposed to be using magic. Yeah. But half the spells are very situational. And others are, I mean, knock. What are you going to use that spell? Knock automatically opens a locked door. Your thief at that point can go, click, it's open. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, so my, my spells were basically like, um, oh, the other thing, it kind of plays into that, is there's so many items that need to be identified and... Maybe you can only use your identity. You can fill up your spell slots with with this the identify spell, uh, but then you can't use any other magic. And you can use identify like four times in Baldur's Gate mm -hmm. one. So that's not really a good solution for that. So what it turned into is I just like have one character who's really strong, and it's like 
You're going to hold all these uh, unidentified objects until we get back to town. Mm -hmm. Enjoy. (laughs) But it, it really does like make you save those magic spells, which isn't fun. Why am I going to have a mage in my party if I can't use magic, right? So now my mage mm. is just going to use a slingshot the whole time until we fight something really strong. Uh, until you find wands. Wands were like the one thing that saved that um, because you find a lot of them. You can use them like, you know, 10 times each. And that became like my, okay, this thing's maybe not strong enough to break out the the fireball spell on, but I will I will zap it with a wand a couple of times. That was like the happy medium, but still mm-hmm. like... I think there's a reason that my favorite RPGs, well, Disco Elysium doesn't have combat, but the Divinity games, the Shadowrun RPGs, uh, and a couple others that I really like work on this like this AP system where mm-hmm. you want to cast a really strong attack. That's cool. It's going to take up everything you can do on this turn. You can't move anything like that. This you know feels old. It's an old game. Of course, it's going to feel old, but it was uh, a big kind of source of frustration uh, when i was going through yeah i mean there are other even tabletop games that i play i've done away with um the slots the slot system itself comes from an author by the name of jack vance it's known as vancean magic because mm-hmm. in his novels he used to have like wizards could only be they were so powerful but they could only keep a spell or two in their head or their head would explode like scanners so Arneson and Gygax thought, hey, this is a wonderful system. It keeps people from overpowering magic. Boom, boom, boom. We're going to add it. A lot of other even tabletop games have said, no, we're just going to give you power points. We're just going to give you spell points. You get 10 points to start. You can get feats and abilities that will increase that number. And then you just say, well, here's how many points the spell costs. Go for it. Yeah. And then even later games that were heavily D&D based did move to like magic points. Uh, The Elder Scrolls. very D based at least uh mm-hmm. use magic points they don't fuck with spell slots so yeah even a lot of japanese rpgs everything is magic point based right and those, and those we were, already yeah yeah and we already know by now that D had made it over there and they were you know some of like especially the earlier final fantasies were very D inspired yeah exactly yep so uh some things just don't translate super well to a video game but you know their goal was obviously to bring D D onto uh computers so um a couple other things about this uh, we you mentioned thaco which again i'm not gonna you know do like the thaco 101 course here tonight but this uh this rule set for D in Baldur's gate has this uh stat called thaco which uh i think it means like um uh cha- like what you need to hit armor class zero which uh the ability to hit armor class zero yeah, and then armor class is another stat that you have. People again like warned me. They're like, "Man, Thaco, super complicated. You're gonna need to. It's not that complicated. Just remember, lower numbers are better. And you're playing the video game that highlights better things in green. So just follow that. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I feel like as far as your equipment goes, um, right? Uh, for your weapons, again, if you're equipping a new weapon and it's showing you uh, numbers in green, that means it's better than what you have equipped. That means that's good. So I didn't have trouble with Thaco, you know, if I was going to run a a game with this or play this, like Mm -hmm. at the tabletop setting, I might have to learn a bit more, but that was fine, you know? And there are people out there who still play second edition, absolutely love it. 
Yeah. I mean, and I'm like, yeah. no, I'm, I was so glad <laughs> to see it gone. I was so glad. Yeah. Because I had to do all kinds of math for my characters, and my players just had to worry about theirs. They're like, okay, what do I need to roll? And in my head, I'm going, okay. So the math basically goes, if I roll a d20, and I'm a first-level fighter, I need to roll a 20 to hit somebody in full plate armor with a zero. Now, they only have leather armor. Oh, okay, that means I can take five off the top. Awesome, so I need to get a 15 or higher. Oh, wait, I have this ability that adds a plus one. I'm wielding a plus one sword. There's two more off the top, so I need a 13. Oh, I'm a second level fighter, and he's only got cloth armor on. Awesome, I only need to get a 12. But unfortunately, my wizard, who will never advance after a certain point, still needs to roll a 20 when he's fifth level and stab somebody with a deck. It was <laughs> such a nightmare. It was such an absolute nightmare. I was so glad to see it gone. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Baldur's Gate 2 still uses this, but uh, the upcoming Baldur's Gate 3 uh, will not. So it's it's something that you only need to really worry about if you're going to play Baldur's Gate. And again, they they do help you by showing you the green color for things that are good, things that are better than what you have already. So just follow that. I feel like you'll be okay. Um, kind of along those lines, I mentioned this earlier, and this is like the last but maybe most important um, part about the gameplay in this is that I, I think that this game assumes that you are coming into it with a a knowledge of this uh, rule set. Uh, and at the very least, that you have the manual and that you're going to reference the manual many, many times while playing it. Um, I personally think that that's unreasonable for a video game, especially with something as complicated to literally teach you nothing about how these things work by giving you tutorials or something in the game. Um, they do not teach you what things like saving throws mean, how they work. Uh, they don't teach you, how, they don't really teach you how Thaco works. They don't teach you how armor class works. Again, follow the green numbers to help you uh, along the right path. But what happened to me was there, there reached a point at the end of Baldur's Gate 1 and then the beginning of Baldur's Gate 2, where I do not know what's happening in combat. There's a combat log that says this character does this amount of damage, this character hits this character, or this character misses, or your attack is ineffective. But what they don't tell you is why it's ineffective. And they don't tell you what status effect is being cast on you. And they don't tell you why your characters can't uh, move all of a sudden. And this is the knowledge that I think is like assumed that you're going to have coming into this. So what happened was, even if I wanted to puzzle out, strategize, uh, dispel effects that I thought were, you know, uh, harming me or helping the enemy, I don't know what those effects are. And thus, I don't know how to solve them. Even if I wanted to do the work to bring down this mage's shields. I don't know what the shield is, and the game will never tell you. So this is why I was like quickly on easy mode and then quickly onto story mode that late in the game. No, I, I agree. It's Again, it's a matter of if you kind of don't know this because you haven't played the tabletop, then they're not going to teach you. Um, that is a, a flaw in the game for new players simply because... I think, again, the people at Interplay were already playing the game. They already knew mm -hmm. what this all meant. They just translated it. 
you're going to sell a game called The Forgotten Realms Baldur's Gate Advanced Dungeons and Dragons to who? Not the guy playing Madden. Right. <laughs> not the kid looking to play Mario. Mm-hmm. You know, not the kid, you know, whatever else. Jesus, 98, that was so far. Not, you know, first Resident Evil kid. They're probably not playing D&D. I was the exception in that case. So I know the game sold well enough, but it was kind of already to a market that was already there. Had already was playing tabletop games, already playing CRPGs and just said, oh, hey, my buddies and I get to play this on a Sunday afternoon. Let's play this one and see what we get. Yeah, this is not really a critique of interplay for the original Baldur's Gate, because this was of the era also where video games came with manuals and you're expected to reference the manual. That being said, I like I don't think that they tell you enough information in the game that even a new player with the manual could fully figure it out. Because uh, I, I just, you know, I'm getting hit with stuff. I don't know what I'm getting hit with. The game doesn't tell you, you got hit with this spell. If they did, then I could say, oh, that spell. What's the counter to that spell? But they don't give you that. My beef is more with Beamdog in the Enhanced Edition, because this is a digitally distributed game. There is no manual, and there is not enough tutorialization for all of these things. Um, as far as I could tell, maybe I missed it. But um, there's not a good glossary for what's going on. If I wanted to know what a spell did, I had to find it in my own mage's inventory and go read what that spell did uh, or something like that. Um, A lot of recent games will, uh, if they're giving you lots of proper nouns or something, they will let you press a button to bring up like a quick glossary to see what it is. I wish that this game had something like that. I wish the combat log gave you more information all of these things might have been in menus or settings and I miss them, but you know, I, I wish there was more teaching, is all I'll say. Yeah. No, you didn't miss them. They were there was originally in the manual that came back with the game in ninety-eight, you could, but I will agree with you. I think Beam Dog kind of dropped the ball on this one, is because they could have taken the opportunity to say, you know, hey, this is kind of here's a primer or added a, a PDF file in there somewhere saying if you need to reference a master document of what we're talking about, abilities, et cetera, et cetera, here's where it goes or an in-game glossary or something like that. Um, you know, or at least warning them that keep in mind this is a game that came out in 1998 under second edition rules. I think by the time this game actually came out, like the enhanced edition, um, we had just transitioned into fifth. Mm-hmm. So warning that if you are not familiar with second edition rules, here's kind of what's going on. Yeah. Um, so I used a wiki as my like source for, okay, I don't know what the fuck this enemy is doing to me. I go check on the wiki and see what it's doing. And often, oftentimes though, they would be like, oh, the counter is this spell, which I don't have. <laughs> Didn't teach to anybody. I don't have the scroll that teaches it. I don't know where to find that scroll. So I'm turning it on story mode so I can beat this thing and then turning it back to easy mode so I can move on with the adventure. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how it went. I know I just like pointed out a lot of stuff that did not work, but I do want to reiterate kind of at the end of this uh, non-spoiler section that I did have a lot of fun playing this. And I think it was because they were like, hey, if if you don't want to deal with this, you put it on story mode and it, it met, like enjoy the adventure. I got the 
intended low-level experience of really gutting out some some tough victories, uh, failing quite a bit early in the game. And then by the point where my characters felt like they should be able to hang, I was like, okay, this is this is surpassing me now, putting it on story mode, and I'm just gonna like cruise through and enjoy the story. Credit to them for allowing that in this game because still uh, not everyone does that even in 2023. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they have really ramped up the settings and difficulty from the original game. Yeah. Story mode, my most recent run, I just put it on story. I've done this so many times. I saved scum through it so much. I'm just like, nah, nope, I'm just going to be in for the adventure. I'm going to play with some characters I haven't before. Mm-hmm. Let's go. They literally have even ramped it up to like, if you want to do like a death march run where everyone's <laughs> low level hit points and everything, it's available. I don't yeah. recommend it, but it's there. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess before getting into spoilers and um, our housekeeping stuff, if we're just going to wrap this up and uh, give some recommendations, who would you recommend the original Baldur's Gate to? Not Baldur's Gate 2, just this first one. I would recommend it to anyone who is a interested historian of CRPGs, of computer RPGs, who hasn't had a chance to play some of the older stuff. Um, anyone who might have enjoyed the first two Fallout games or might have looked at something like Divinity Original Sin, Divinity Original Sin 2, and said, hey, you know, I want to know a little bit more about it. Or somebody who maybe liked how Dragon Age Origins went. Um something like that and give it a try. I don't unless you put it on story mode, you don't necessarily have to run all the way to the end. Um but definitely give it a shot to the historian, the curious, uh those who are new to CRPGs to kind of understand a little bit where this came from. And of course, if you've absolutely managed to burn yourself out and everything else and just want to try something different, give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. The the historian angle is something that I agree with. That's partly why I wanted to play it. Like I, I'm going to play Baldur's Gate 3 when it comes out, but I was never like, I have to know what happened in the story in Baldur's Gate 1 or I won't understand. It wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. It was more like a, this is a good excuse to go back and see the original game. And if you are someone who just wants to see, just wants to check it out, uh, you can get these on sale for like, a dollar or two each now like they they go on sale regularly extremely mm-hmm. cheap even on switch you can get the double pack for like 10 bucks now on sale which is what i did um i think it ran great on switch they they adopted the like the radial menus that uh constant rpgs have uh, gone to now to make them doable on console i think i'd still recommend playing with a mouse uh, there's just too many menus to like feel comfortable on console, but they are, it is doable. I did it. So it's not horrible. I still recommend on a mouse if you, uh, if you want to play, but yeah, I I kind of agree. Like if you want to see what it was like, go back and try it. And again, I'll reiterate, if you're thinking about checking out these older games, Baldur's Gate one and two, start with the first one. Don't skip it straight to two. It doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense from, um, like a character progression standpoint to start in the middle because you are carrying a character. And uh, Phil, you said this and I agree. The story will make no fucking sense. Mm -hmm. You can go read a recap of the story. That's cool too. But to like, as someone who did this to take your character from the end of Baldur's gate and then see what's going on when it picks up in Baldur's gate two, 
You'd be missing a lot of context and a lot of assumed relationships with the characters that you meet that you re that you reunite with at the beginning of Baldur's yeah. Gate Two. And I don't mean like an hour or two in, you'll be lost in Baldur's Gate 2. I mean in like the literal, the first 30 yeah. seconds, you <laughs> yeah. will not know what's going on if you haven't at least like played a little bit of the first one. Agreed. So yeah, those are the recommendations. I still think this game is really good. Uh, even with issues I had with gameplay and D&D translated to video game story modes there. Enjoy it. So uh, Phil, before we get into spoilers, uh, where can people find deleted saves? Okay, deleted saves, because I am the worst person in the world at social media. But if you want, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter on at deleted saves. You can find me on Instagram at deleted underscore saves underscore podcast. Uh, if you wish to become a patron of the show, it's not required, but I would certainly appreciate it. You can go to patreon.com and look at Deleted Saves Podcast and throw a buck my way. Really, I'm cheap. <laughs> a dollar will do you. <laughs> and um, I'm on Discord with a lot of other Discords. I don't have my own, but again, I am Deleted Saves Pod on Discord if you want to come yell at me for some reason. Um, if you happen to be an Xbox fan who does, doesn't like the fact that I said PC games are perfectly viable. Um, or anything goofy <laughs> like that. Uh -huh. um, those are generally where I can be found. Yeah. Um, again, I uh, recommend everyone check out the show. You can check down in the show notes uh, for links to uh, the podcast. Uh, find Phil, especially on Twitter, where uh, the, uh, the takes come out. I, I enjoy those all the time. And then uh, also in the, the Tales from the Backlog Discord server, uh, you may find him in there too. Let him know what you think. Um, talk to us about Baldur's Gate. So this is my time to say that I would love for more people to join the Discord server and come join the conversation. We've got a great group of people in there. And to support Tales from the Backlog, it's it's the same stuff as always. Ratings and reviews, if your platform allows it, is super helpful. Uh, Patreon.com slash Jackson is the place if you want to support monetarily. And I also have another show called A Top 3 Podcast, where we do top three lists every week, and I think that's a good time, and it's fun to talk about things that are not video games sometimes. So that's that show. So Phil and I are going to take a break when we come back. Spoiler time for Baldur's Gate. Okay, Phil and I are back, and it's time to talk spoilers for Baldur's Gate. And uh, we teased at the beginning that your character, um, something about your character makes everyone want to come fuck with you. And part of the game story is figuring out what that is. And what it is, uh, super unexpected, turns out you're the offspring of a god. <laughs> Not only <laughs> any god, the god of murder, which is a hilarious uh title for a god uh, named Ball. And I knew this name because the DLC for Baldur's Gate 2 is called Throne of Ball. So I had already known this, but finding out that you're the god of murder's offspring, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to give a lot of context here. So sure, if sure. your listeners like get bored and fall asleep, it's my fault. I apologize. <laughs> so in the world of the Forgotten Realms, prior to the timeline of the Baldur's Gate game, maybe about 15 to 20 years before. 
Mm -hmm. there was a worldwide event called the Time of Troubles. What happened is that the overgod of all the gods named Ao controlled something called the Tablets of Fate. And the Tablets of Fate were stolen by the Dark Three, Bane, Baal, and Sirik. Bane, the god of tyranny, Baal, the god of murder, Sirik, the god of strife. They stole the Tablets of Fate. Mm -hmm. This was not supposed to be possible because all the other gods were supposed to be watching them. Well, the gods were too busy ignoring their followers, rolling around, having kids, fighting, all kinds of crazy crap, getting their followers involved, kind of like the Greek gods. Right. As punishment, Ao cast all of the gods out of the divine realm or the infernal realm. So the only place they could go was they could manifest on the material plane. And the time of troubles was suddenly all the gods in the world showed up in front of all of their followers <laughs> and had to go, hi, um, we're here. <laughs> we're kind of stuck because daddy kicked us out. What do we do? <laughs> so the people of the world went, holy fuck, the gods, they're literally right here. We can touch them. We can see them. Aren't they lovely? Does that mean you have no power? Uh-oh. What about all of our power? What about our political power? Oh, shit. So the gods get into this series of rolling fights on the material plane until Ao decides that the, they've been punished enough and they can be rectified. One of them was Baal, the god of murder. Just before he was sent down, he had a vision that he would die during the time of troubles. So he spent the entire time raping every female of every race possible to produce as many offspring as possible before he was finally killed. Jesus. 20 years later, you, your mm -hmm. character, are one of these ball spawn. You are, unknownst to you, you are the son of the god of murder. <laughs> All the gods are back in their places now, but there's an entire group of people that have a vision that if there's, it's like the Highlander. If they kill all of them until there's only one left, that person now will become the incarnation of the god of murder. Mm -hmm. And that is you. Well, possibly. There's a whole bunch of people out there. They've been winnowed down over the last 20 years. Some were killed in infancy once they knew what they were. Some have been allowed to reach adulthood and cause havoc. You, whatever your name shall be for this adventure, were born... Who knows who your parents were? But Gryan, one of the many mage clerics of Candlekeep, has adopted you because he saw something in you that could potentially be useful or good. Mm -hmm. Candlekeep is the world of Forgotten Realms' largest library. Yeah. It is a fortified library. Once you, unless you are in the clergy there or unless you have a very specific item they ask for a one single copy of a book that has never been published anywhere else in the world that is wholly original. You can't get in, and if you're out, you can't ever come back, even mm -hmm. if you were born and raised there. Which is what happens to your character when Gorion says, we gotta go, and you he gets killed. The reason you can't go into back, back in a candle keep, even though they recognize you, they disavow knowledge of you. Unless... You can pay the price. A book. A mm -hmm. book of this holy, holy original. Now, speaking this is the spoiler section. Yeah. 
I will tell you something very important happens in Candlekeep that gives away the whole game if you know what you're looking for. Oh, really? Around the main keep itself in the center as you're exploring, Mm there will be five guys in colorful robes that sing, the chanters. The very first chanter, if you can hear them, will sing the phrase, The Lord of Murder shall perish, and upon the earth shall be a score of his mortal progeny. Mm -hmm. And the chanters begin taking up parts of this line. What they're singing is something called the Prophecies of Alundo. Alundo is a prophet that lived within the Forgotten Realms thousands of years ago and laid out the entire history of what the realms would be, i.e., this is how TSR and later Wizards of the Coast were able to put any kind of shit in there that they wanted and said, oh, Alundo said it was going to be here. (laughs) Even Ed Greenwood, who started making the system, who made the realms in 1967, eventually sold it to TSR in the 1980s, was like, yeah, I kind of had it in there, but they really took it and ran with it. This was Mm -hmm. not my deal. Yeah. But, yeah, there's a huge spoiler in the beginning of the game, and Interplay put it in there, if you don't know what in the hell you're listening to, you, it's going to pass over. It's just a bunch of guys singing. I got yeah. shit to do. But if you know the realm's lore and you hear someone say, the Lord of Murder shall perish, uh-oh, we have a big problem. Yeah, I mean, obviously I didn't pick up on that, but that's the kind of um, the kind of foreshadowing and, well, I guess, spoiling. That is, it's kind of cool that the people who know what's happening, it's there from the beginning, right? And the people mm-hmm. who don't, you just, like you said, you're just going to think it's some weird guy singing. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And of course, the game proceeds from there to um, you get kicked out. You know that there are friends waiting for you at a place called the Friendly Arm Inn, but you don't have to go there. You can wander the goddamn countryside. Your heart's content. Never run into them if you don't have to. Yeah. Uh, if you don't go there, you'll be at a disadvantage because there's two characters waiting to join your party there. So I was feeling very weak at the time, understandably, right? Early game. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah. I have to go there first and then I'll reevaluate what's going on. So part part of the story is that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's another ball spawn named uh, Saravak who is basically trying to kill you once he figures out who you are. And that's kind mm-hmm. of, you're building up to a climactic confrontation with him at the end. Yep. Saravak is his name. Yeah. Uh, his he has an alias for most of the game, which is I think just an anagram of Saravak, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, it's much like Dracula. It's his name written backwards. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> so during the uh, the plot again, I said like the beat by beat plot is not super memorable. The most memorable is like going through this mine to figure out why all the the metal in the region is like cursed and falling apart and brittle, which mm-hmm. is a uh, is interesting way to cause. Uh, strife within a region, right? Especially yep. one that's dependent on these mines. Um, but yep. what stuck out exactly. to me most was uh, some of the side stories and some of the uh, the quests you go on, some of the dungeons and stuff. So um, I saw kick to you first. Was is there any you know part of the main plot or a side quest or something that you think is just really noteworthy and worth discussing? I do. Um, the first part actually is one of the earliest points of the quest is trying to get into the Nashkel mines. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, I learned how to basically build and design a dungeon around this. Yeah, if um, as you play the game, you're told pretty quickly that the iron ore in the area is gone bad. So any yeah. base steel weapons will eventually break after so many uses. 
and you'll have to there'll be you'll find them in order for you your inventory will be snapped in half you'll have to get new ones this doesn't occur with magic weapons just just plain old regular weapons mm-hmm. now in some cases um that mine supplies the entire region worse if it were to destabilize that would mean that the neighboring nation of Am who is the only unified power in the region because Baldur's Gate is its own thing and you don't get another unified region till almost the sword, uh, almost, I'm sorry, Icewind Dale to the north. Um, it means that Baldur's Gate could potentially get swallowed up by an economically destabilized region, especially by Am, who is not having a problem and is just over the ridge from the Nashkel mines. I think it's mm-hmm. the area called the Cloud Peaks. Now, I think that's fun because you go in there and it's after, you know, several hours of killing hobgoblins that claim to be part of some militia and random kobolds and stuff like this. You find out, oh, wait a second. The kobolds are in this mine for a reason. They've got these weird canisters on them that they're pouring all over the iron Mm -hmm. and it's causing it to go bad. Kobolds don't make poisons or at least not smart enough to have this level of organization. So who's behind it? You break into the bottom level of the mine, which is kind of an old abandoned cave system, and there's somebody waiting for you, uh, a half-orc yeah. cleric who's like, nope, I'm a, I'm a cleric of Cyric, and I'm working for an organization. We're planning to destabilize the region. Now, the funny thing with him is you can kill him outright, but there's a chance if you hit him so much and you get it lucky, he will actually stop the fight and beg for his life, and you can let him go. Oh, Okay. But usually, especially in story mode, by that point, you've, you've absolutely just massacred him. Um, but yeah, he will give you either you can find notes on his body or he'll tell you, you need to go find the rest of the organization, which is hidden. I don't Like I said, dude, I don't even know where it is. Everything's by proxies. It's all by messenger. They're somewhere in the Baldur's Gate Sword Coast region. You got to find them. But here's the next guy. Um, like an ogre named Serzok or something like that, or, or mage. I, f- I forget at the moment. Um, but there's a couple guys, and you need to go somewhere through the region, hunt them down to get the next part of the story. Mm-hmm. That's part of the main story. After that, it kind of becomes like, okay, here we are trudging through field, trudging through more mines, trudging through the forest. If we get lucky, we'll find the next part of the story. Yeah. Now, as far as, as, far as side quests, there's a couple dumb ones floating around out there that I really like. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's actually you will get a you'll get a side quest in the bigger central city of Baragost that says, "Hey, for five grand in gold, there's somebody out there. There is a mad ma- there's a mad cleric, and we need somebody to kill him because he's a bad dude." Mm-hmm. It's actually I think they're going to be the the main cleric of the Temple of Lathander outside of Baragost that actually gives it to you if you can find him. Please bring back his holy symbol as proof that you killed him. Okay. You go find him. You'll like wander. If you wander enough screens west, you'll find him. He's actually surrounded by a horde of skeletons. And he is completely insane. However, if you don't rush in and start killing him, he'll talk to you. He says he'll start claiming your main character is his brother. Mm-hmm. And saying, oh, do you, stuff like, do you remember when mom and dad used to take us around and we had all these crazy adventures and this dumb <laughs> shit? And your character's like, no. And he's like, but mom's right here. And he turns around and there's like, it's a skeleton. He's like, oh, mom, remember this? Our brother's forgotten all about this. Dad, and he goes to another skeleton. And he's like, 
if you if you know what to do, you can actually talk him out of his madness. Interesting. If you look through his his the dialogue options, it might be like a little a point and click and a little luck, but you can get deep enough where eventually he'll turn around and realize but I killed everyone. Oh my God, I killed my entire family. This is a whole sham. The skeletons will drop. They'll disappear and it'll just be him versus your party. And uh, at that point, he's easy pickings. Yeah. Inter- is that the quest that starts by someone asking you to find like a serial killer or something like that? Or like just a dangerous man that lives in the woods? Yeah, I think that I, it is. I never there's, found there's another. There's another dangerous man they claim lives in the woods. He's just a mage. He's okay. just a wizard in high hedge. He's, he, but if you go in there unannounced, he's got two flesh golems, which are way more powerful than your party, and mm-hmm. they will just start stomping the shit out of your party. <laughs> however, however, if you find – now, and the mage, if you speak to him, he'll actually sell you spells and stuff. He'll sell you some gear. However, if you find out – if you find his apprentice, you'll have a lot easier time. Hmm. His apprentice, who is currently in the form of a chicken. (laughs) Somewhere in one of the many screens on the western side of the map, you may find a chicken that'll run up to you and start talking. (laughs) And of course, your character will be nothing like, you know, this is a a foul situation. And and even the, the, you know, the chicken's like, yeah, yeah, I get the jokes. I'm a chicken. Take me (laughs) back to this mage. He's He's my boss. So you take him all the way back and... The, the mage is like, why are you bringing me a chicken? I'm busy with the great you know, weight of the universe on my head. And the chicken starts right. talking. It's like, oh, my God, you idiot. You're my apprentice. What did you do? He said, well, I wanted to make you proud. So I took a couple of old bracers off you. And like, the cursed bracers? <laughs> He's like, you're lucky you just got turned into a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> and he will attempt to revivify your the character, and there's about a 50-50 chance that the chicken will either blow up and he'll go, well, he was an idiot anyway. Thanks for your time. <laughs> Get the hell out. Or he'll come back and be a human again, and the mage will be like, well, I apparently got to teach this idiot how not to turn himself into a chicken or kill himself. Nice. So here's some gear. Thanks for bringing him in. Please get the hell out of my house. Nice. That's uh, not the only interesting thing to do with chickens that I ran across in this game. There's a house in one no. of the cities uh, that is full of what, quote, rabid chickens. Uh, yes. You just open the door. There's like 30 of them in this room. I have no mm-hmm. idea why they're there, what they're connected to, if it's a quest I didn't start or something. No, some of those things are just jokes. I think yeah. that might be a Legend of Zelda joke oh, about what the, happens the if you whack too many yeah. Koroks. Yeah, the cuckoos. Yeah. Um, there's a few others that are very – there's, like, literally you, some, like, kobolds you could run into that are named Larry, Daryl, and Daryl from the Bob <laughs> Newhart show okay. back in the fucking 80s and 90s. <laughs> nice. um, there's, a, there's a guy you can run across, a ranger called Bub Snicked, and if you okay. realize it's, it's Wolverine. It's Wolverine. Oh, okay. Wow. So, Yeah. So gotcha. he won't join your party, but yeah, if you re- if you know it's oh god, it's the same thing they did with Fallout One and Two, where they made a shitload of cultural jokes, mm-hmm. and then just if you picked them out and knew them there. But the problem is now, it being twenty twenty three, some of them don't land because it's been a long ass time since it was relevant. Yeah, <laughs> and the one that always stuck out to me, and I can mm. never remember the quote, is that at some point you'll just you'll meet a you'll just meet a guy wearing a diaper. And he's just meditating in the woods. 
and he's just being an asshole to you. You're trying to ask him like directions, I think, to someplace, and mm-hmm. he's trying to give you smart ass remarks. And finally, you're at some point, you will come up with this like huge paragraph of text that goes something along the lines of, "All right, I've had enough of these, you know, iron mongering, sword wielding, you know, cultist, you know, smart ass fools, freaks and felons who continually test my time, attention, and patience. If you don't give me a straight answer." I'm going to like shove something the length of Elminster and his hat into a crevice of your body so seldom seen that even the denizens of the nine hells will not touch it. <laughs> and the, and the, the guy's like, well, I was, I was just trying to do my job. Okay. Just no reason to be angry. He walks off like a Monty Python side character <laughs> after you lose your temper on him. Yeah. Um, but no, that that's what really kind of makes Baldur's Gate for me is not necessarily the main quest it's a lot of the side quests, a lot of the side yeah. content that you could stumble on. And they either offer you powerful items for a little bit of legwork mm-hmm. or just a good joke or some laughs yeah. or some really good opportunity to actually get some good dialogue out of it. Yeah, or just a, you know, a memorable side story. One of the um, side quests that I wrote down as being fun uh, from a you know, plot twist perspective was, um, and it might be new because it, it has to do with Nira. But uh, so in the original Baldur's Gate, the wild mages are still a thing, right? It's just now in the enhanced edition, we get one. Yeah, they were there, but we didn't have a character who was dedicated to it because of the the chaos factor. They didn't even have a good write-up for it in tabletop. It wasn't until almost third edition that they actually could codify it. Okay, yeah. So in the enhanced edition, you get a character named Nira who can join your party. She's a wild mage, which means that she can do really strong magic, but she can't control it. And sometimes her spells won't work. Some of her her character abilities are like, you know, on her last legs, like in combat, you can actually get your magic to work for once and kind of pull it out. Um, but it's part of her character and all the wild mages that they're, you know, dangerous in this way that they can't control their magic. And so they're being hunted by these red wizards, uh, red mages. The red wizards of Fae. Yeah, which continues um, into Baldur's Gate 2. But so like the wild mages have like a like a a kinship toward each other. And so you hear about another wild mage who's old, uh, which is noteworthy because wild mages normally set themselves on fire with before they get to be old. Uh, So you hear, oh, this guy must know his shit. He's old. Uh, So you go and... uh, kind of find him you find out he's been captured by goblins and then by kind of fighting the goblins and freeing him you learn that his magic summoned the goblins which told uh like made the goblins believe that he was god because he created them and then they imprisoned him so he wouldn't run away so their god wouldn't run away mm-hmm. and it's just this this spiral of like super creative ideas for a quest um and then the red mages come and you have to kill them and of course but uh this is just like uh, kind of emblematic of the the writing in these quests where like you may get a very simple uh reason to start the quest right find this other wild mage but the what happens when you actually get there in a lot of these quests is is beyond what you could imagine it's good writing it's creative and again it it reminds me of um you know I haven't pl- I haven't played less of D and D. I do have experience playing Fate. Uh, that's the tabletop system that I have the most experience with, and it reminds me of playing tabletop with a very creative game master. 
who always mm-hmm. can keep you guessing on what's going on. And it's, I really appreciate that. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of one of the best things as a game master you can do is just try and be as creative as possible, do as many twists as you can, leave a few things out there. And to be honest with you, whatever your players supply, yeah. if it sounds cooler, yes, that's exactly what's going on. You've yeah. sorted out. I've done that so many times in my own games where I've had a, like their plan A is going this way and I have the plot going to plan B. My players went, oh, shit. Uh, there's a basic thing Phil just said, and it's plan X. And I'm like, yes, plan X, is that's exactly, you figured it out. And I, I did not know that existed until you brought it up, but it's happening now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if a lot, of, a lot of these quests, even this goofy stuff sounds familiar, if it seems like you've heard it before in Dragon Age or even El- later Elder Scrolls games, uh, Divinity, Fallout, um, Disco Elysium, you have because they were cribbing notes from stuff like Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Now, Baldur's Gate isn't the only one, obviously, but if there was really good points of writing, they brought it over. Mm-hmm. As I, I said before, and people you know, also got, you know, were kind of worried when I, I didn't give Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion the greatest um, uh, review in the world, but I knew that there were some very good and creative quests in it. And that's yeah. why I said the, um, the, the quest line for the Dark Brotherhood Guild in that one, because mm-hmm. it was written by the guy who wrote Thief, the first Thief game. Yeah. So of course it was really creative. There were a lot of a lot of things that didn't I didn't see coming. And I've noticed I've seen snippets of stuff like that in later video games, later RPGs. There's been a lot of stuff that came out of Baldur's Gate that I see in later RPGs and gone, "Hi, I know where you came from with that. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that back." Mm-hmm. And you know, there's it's one thing to just like you know, steal an idea like word for word. But I feel like a lot of these games will take some of these narrative twists and situations and like fit them into their world uh, in a way that's really cool. Yep. So yeah. Um, another quest uh, that like stands out to me before I talk about, actually, I think this might be sword, uh, Tales from the Sword Coast um, when you're asked to retrieve a cloak for a wizard. And as soon yes. as you, uh, as soon as you try and get it, you're teleported to this, island full of mages who are also trying to get the cloak and they've Mm -hmm. been there forever and they're all insane because they're all stranded there and this happens like many many times in these games where you're summoned to some other location or some other dimension you're like oh fuck like there are people here that are insane because they got summoned here 30 years ago and they can't leave Mm-hmm. And you would think by now they'd have starved to death but you know somehow they're, they're kept alive and now they're completely out of it Right. But they're going to try and kill you because, hey, you're the new person. I got to kill you. That's going to help me get home, obviously. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and um, then there's one. It's another one that um, I think actually you brought up in your notes. I saw it. Durlag's Tower. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Durlag's Tower is about as fucking tabletop gamey as it gets. Yeah. If I can quote Discord member Zolgeek, great friend of the show, he quoted this as D&D ass D&D dungeon crawling. And I, I couldn't mm-hmm. agree more. Yep. <laughs> well, again, give you a little bit of background. <sighs> Durlag's Tower is as much a callback as they could fit to things like the Temple of Elemental Evil and a lot of the other great classics of actually first edition D&D, where you go in, it's a location, 
And the point is get as much treasure as you can and get to the bottom and kill the final boss. Right. Which I believe for Durlag's Tower is some kind of dragon. It is, yeah. There are, there's multiple different types of dragons in D&D. It's, it's a dragon of some type. But the problem is Durlag's Tower is a callback to first edition. A lot of those games were tournament games. You would go to Gen Con in Indianapolis once a year or one of the other conventions around the Midwest – and you would it would be what they call a meat grinder dungeon. You would go in with literally a fistful of character sheets and go, okay, Torig the fighter just got killed by a trap he didn't see coming. Here's <laughs> Torig's brother, the right. Torg the second. Or, you know, you know, Goulash the cleric just got smashed flat by um a stone golem carrying a pillar. Um here's Geleb, the wizard and we would just keep rolling and rolling so it didn't matter how many characters you lost eventually attrition and numbers would get you to the bottom of the dungeon after a four-hour play session the problem is when you translate something like that to a video game where people can save scum and they can reload or they have a story mode where they can't die now you're in situations where i went back into legs tower with my latest group and i got caught up in an area where like I was getting so pummeled by magic and attacks that everyone was at 10 HP but couldn't die. and But they also couldn't kill what they had because my weapons weren't good enough. Mm-hmm. And my mages were out of spells. So I walked everyone out. I'm going to go rest. And here come the enemies flooding right behind me <laughs> to continue the fight. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I got to leave this whole fucking place. So they're not going to leave me alone. It is as dungeon crawly, dungeon ass, dungeon crawling as it could possibly be. Yeah. And it's very much tacked on as an experience with Baldur's Gate. Right. It, it's, it was a separate like content pack, if, I, if I'm mm-hmm. correct. Uh, not part of That's the correct. original, original game. No, it wasn't even, I don't think it was even part of Tales of the Sword Coast. I think it got brought in with them, but that okay. was like a much later like update um, patch that you could get from a, a second uh, DLC before it was officially called DLC. Right, yeah. So um, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. I was playing on easy mode for this uh, tower. I put it on story mode when I fought the dragon because it was like, you know, I, I don't... I, I've already said I'm like, I'm being surpassed by this combat at some point in this game when it reaches a certain level of complexity but like I was mm-hmm. fine for the dungeon. I went in there basically before I went to beat the game. Um, something about it gave me the sense that like, oh, this is going to be really hard. So mm-hmm. I saved it for later. I'm playing on easy mode, which gives your characters like extra points on your dice rolls, basically like bonuses. Yeah, hit points, uh, regeneration spells, things like that. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit easier. Um, but I didn't have a lot of trouble with it until the dragon but I did appreciate, like like you said, there's like hundreds of traps in this dungeon. And it's another one of them that starts by just a character says, hey, if you go here, I heard there's treasure. And that's it. And mm-hmm. so you go there, and in addition to treasure, there's like eight levels of this fucking place. There's traps. This, this dungeon, so this mm-hmm. game took me 30 hours to play. This dungeon took at least five it's huge. Yeah. Takes forever. And again, call back to first edition when your only goal was go here, get treasure. 
Yeah. Because a lot of the experience for, for original first edition was you got an experience point for every piece of gold you collected. Huh. And that was more than enough of what people needed to go, well, I'll just go throw away 30 characters getting killed in the Temple of Elemental Evil over and over again until I get all the gold and walk out. Your leg keeps that legacy alive. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in there, you also have like the story of this, uh, the downfall of this great warrior and stuff. Um, it's got doppelgangers. It's got puzzles. It's got everything. Um, mm-hmm. It was a really good time. It's going to be the most memorable uh, dungeon from this game, for sure. Other than those mm-hmm. mines that you talked about before, because of that, that dude at the end of those mines was really fucking hard. Even on easy mode, I had to really mm-hmm. like break out the tactic because he summons like 25 monsters to come fight for him. Uh, and that was an issue. Yes. So that mm-hmm. was tough. Um, there's also, there's, um, I think we're, I think his name is Zan, the wizard that is in yes. that room. The really depressed elf. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, oh yes. I guess we'll all die. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, exactly. he was, he was, you could pick him up if you didn't have a wizard. Right. Um, and I, I kind of like, knew about him before maybe i'd heard the voice lines or something um beforehand or heard someone talk about you know this this nihilist depressed elf um but uh that's another character i didn't take him with me because i already had a full party and i was like well yeah you can hang out in this cave if you want to but and he's got a unique weapon that only he can wield that's in the treasure chest that the cleric is guarding called the moonblade Right, Which, and you can't you can't drop it if you don't take him in your party. So the Moonblade went with me the rest of the game. Yeah, and it's a great weapon for your level. It's plus three uh, to hit, plus three damage, but only Zan can use it because it's bonded to him. So it's useless in your inventory. Yep. Uh, luckily, I think it's I think it's Nira, and this might be a um, a concession for the enhanced edition. Nira comes with a bottomless bag that you can just put yes. anything into, which is super clutch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's extremely helpful. Yeah. Um, so any other quests or like side quests, anything like that that you want to talk about before uh, kind of wrapping up the story? There were a couple ones that can have some surprising um, sad moments to them. Sure. Um, you will actually, somewhere out in the wilderness, you may stumble on a little girl who's just all alone by herself and at this point, you could be like, hey, we've been attacked by some weird shit. Are we absolutely sure this is a kid? Yeah. But she's just looking <laughs> for a cat. And she was playing by waterfalls. She's looking for a kitty. She said, my kitty fell, and I can't find him. You'll travel all the way to the bottom of the falls, and you will find the waterlogged, deceased body of a cat. Ooh. And you can return it to her, which is the right thing to do. And... You know, she'll give you like a couple gold coins and she'll say thank you very much and she'll walk away crying. And like the text bottom will be like something like, this is the most noble and the worst I have ever felt completing a quest. Mm-hmm. And there's Makes another sense. one where, yeah, there's another one where like before you get to the city of Baldur's Gate, there's a, a couple ones. One, it's just a farmer. Um, he's having this giant bug problem. Well, the problem is the bugs are ch- these giant like, 10 foot long, like uh, acid spitting monstrosities yeah. that all have a, a function. They can help aerate the soil. If they get out of hand, they eat everything. Those are the ones that come out of the ground, right? Yes, the onkegs. Yeah. yeah. The, the sun went missing, and you go into their nest and you can kill them all, but you find the sun's body. Yep. 
So you can return to the old man. It was his only child, his only son. He's like, you know, thank you for returning him. I'll give him a proper burial, but I'm old. And like, literally, he's like in his 60s. He's like, I, I don't know what to do. And there's nothing you can do to help him at that point. Yep. And in the same area, there's three old men that are like, hey, we got this evil witch up the road who keeps summoning the, the goddess of nature and she's mad at us and whatnot. Go get her, get her, get her bowl from her. And, and you know, that we sold her. And you go up there and you find out she's like, no, I, they stole my mother's artifact. Yes, I'm absolutely evil. And so was my mother. And so is our, our goddess. But they still stole our stuff. And if you just kill her and take it back to them, they're like, Haha, thanks, sucker. You're a good noble man for returning this. And then you can beat the shit out of them. And they're like, hey, we, we you know, and they're like, hey, <laughs> you lied to me. And now you have just this bowl of, of this angry goddess on you. and You can't do anything with it because everyone involved is now dead. <laughs> so I'm like trying to ditch this is like, OK, like, where's the nearest well I can shove this into? Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of those quests where um you'll do something and then it turns out you're doing it for bad people who just like, you know, lied to you at the beginning. That's what happened with Durlag's Towers quest too. Um, when -hmm. you come back with the artifact that they want, um, the whole town basically goes hostile on you and then you have to go kill this dragon at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, those are, those are cool. I, I remember the, the quest with the, the farmer and his son. Um, I remember it most specifically because in these games, the only way to bring a body to someone is to put it in your inventory. And mm-hmm. you could conceivably just walk around with a body in your inventory for a while. <laughs> so Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Um, in the end, you find yourself like in Baldur's Gate, you know, infiltrating these organizations, trying to, um, to figure out who's, you know, who's behind all of these, um, all of the iron shortage and, who is basically pulling the strings and it leads you to this guy named Saravak who um, kind of tricks you a couple times through the road. Uh, you have a couple of fights uh, with him and turns out he's another, you know, ball spawn. He's trying to kill you because he wants to be the, the, the Highlander, as you put it. Um, and this is uh, this part at the end, when you do your final confrontation with him is, um, the part where I had to put it on story mode for good, because then it was just like, this is way too difficult. Um, also to note, uh, we didn't really talk about the city of Baldur's Gate, but I think it's a really impressive video game city. It's massive. Mm-hmm. It has these, uh, you know, distinct districts that have their own feel to them. Uh, the amount of quests that you can find in Baldur's Gate, like it's this massive city, but doesn't feel like it has a bunch of wasted space. That's just filler. Mm-hmm. Like, you can find stuff to do everywhere, sewer systems and stuff too. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of quests you can find on in Baldur's Gate itself. You're not really going to be picking up any additional party members. You pretty much have filled out just about everyone by that point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, each area has a district um, so that you can get all kinds of quests, uh, good, bad, and indifferent, uh, as well as leading up to your main quest, which everything, of course, all takes place in Baldur's Gate itself. Um why is it called Baldur's Gate? Because it's named after an old adventurer named Baldarian, who uh, set up a shop out here, uh, found this river player area was a good place to set up a city, and very likely he trapped some kind of demon well below the city. <laughs> um, 
which often happens in the yeah, forgotten yeah. Realm, as it, sadly as it, enough. As it goes, yeah. A gate or a demon or an angel or some terrible thing is just waiting for adventurers to, to wake it up. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's a ton of things to do. There's many, many people to interact with. Yes, many of them will be nameless NPCs, nobles, and whatnot that'll just, you know, gives you some kind of smart-ass comment or like, oh, get away from me, peasant, despite the fact that you're at this point about level 10, dripping in glowing armor and the best weapons in the game, and like, yes, yeah. please, peasant me. Please, please call me a peasant one more time. We'll see how this fucking ends. <laughs> um, but you could also like interact with the city guard, um, all kinds of people that are trying to help you kind of know what's up with the quest, and they're trying to help you back and forth. It's kind of like turning into a Tarantino film very quickly. Um, with all the double betrayals and the triple betrayals and the shit like that. Yeah. But yeah, the, the final boss is Saravak. He is a son of a bitch. He is your half brother by Dane of being a ball spawn. Um, he just comes in swinging with a whole bunch of like ogres and mages and additional enemies. And you can get trounced really quick. Cause the problem is, your party of six can get overwhelmed very quickly because Saravak is no slouch. Mm-hmm. And then he has all these high-level enemies with him coming here to kill you. Yeah. So, like, I was playing on story mode, so my strategy was uh, just, you know, outlast this. Because even on story mode, your character can die, uh, your main character, and if your character dies, um, it's game over. Uh, or maybe that's just in scripted events. Baldur's Gate mm-hmm. 1 and 2 are kind of blending together. Um, I know there's a quest in Baldur's Gate 2 that's unwinnable, like an unwinnable fight if you try to yeah. fight someone too early, you know? But anyway, my strategy on story mode was just try and stay alive and uh, try and stay out of status effects and just kind of take him out. But when you're mm-hmm. not playing on story mode, what's the strategy for Saravok or maybe even that dragon? Two super hard fights. Really kind of, I think, almost like learning from the mistakes and reloading. Um, and he, the problems I always had with it were, were usually pretty huge. Um, your mage has to control, as, and you have to be like on it, pausing constantly while your mage controls as much of the battlefield as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, your big frontline fighters, and I usually recommend having at least two, can try and draw off the major enemies or just go after Saravok himself because he's one of those, he's like a load-bearing boss. The second you kill him, Mm-hmm. end of game plays but you're really going to have to use a lot of judicious use of magic uh area control and just kind of at that point knowing what you're coming into yeah oh something else we should bring up is that along the way as you progress in the story quests every so often when you go to rest because this game has a day night cycle and you can sleep to recover your abilities yeah you'll have a dream yeah your yeah. main character will have a dream uh something usually terrible but um, your character makes a decision, and it usually says it ends with a voice screaming in the void, saying, "You will learn." Mm-hmm. And you come, you come to with a new power or an ability. And if you're a fighter, these might be the only magic you're going to get. Right? Yeah. That is that is Ball. Ball is trying to tell you, like he's trying to tell all of his children, turn to the dark side, Luke, oh, and I will okay. give you endless power. But the fact that you keep going, nope going to retain my humanity. He's getting more and more pissed off. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, so I didn't pick up on that, you know, just coming from those dreams, but 
Uh, I do. I'm glad you brought those up because those are really well written. And uh, I always enjoyed like listening to those because they are giving you these like horrible dreams that you would have. They're written like dreams. Like you are, uh, you know, you're in this situation and then you're, I don't know, I'm just making something up, but like, oh, you reach out your arm and your arm turns to bone all of a sudden and, you know, mm-hmm. something fucked up happens to you. So like nightmares, basically. So those were entertaining. It's always going to be fucked up because he was the god of murder. So of course it's going to be something fucking horrible. Yeah, of course. Um, but you you can learn a lot about your character's sort of inner struggle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then at the end, um, after you defeat Saravok, um, you are you the last one? Is this kind of continuing into Baldur's Gate two with that? Yeah, it's my oh oh yeah no no okay. I'm. I'm going to let you find that out. Okay, fair enough. So uh, kind of at the end, you just kind of like go on your merry way. I mean, this is this is halfway through the story. So it's not like... Yeah. The, the whole point is Saravok's plan was to destabilize the Sword Coast economically uh, and then militarily and then incite war with Om mm-hmm. to have Om march north and basically... Uh, fucking try and take over Baldur's Gate, which the problem is would have then caused the next biggest city up the line, Waterdeep, the city of Splendors, and possibly the biggest power in the region to have to retaliate because now Om is escalating. It's mm-hmm. taken over Baldur's Gate in an unprovoked, from their side, an unprovoked war. And Bald- and Waterdeep is going to have to come down and deal with Om. Therefore, Saravok is going to be at the center of it, like the Eye of a Storm, drinking in all the death and murder, and therefore ascend to being the new god of murder. Right. So at the end of You Go on Your Merry Way, uh, assuming that you originally in the original didn't play the Siege of Dragon Spear, which didn't get included until the Enhanced Edition, right? Um, you would just sort of... If you play Baldur's Gate 2, which you've started in, so this isn't a spoiler for you, right? Um, you wake up inside this weird wizard torture dungeon, like yep. something out of Magical Saw, um, surrounded by dozens of golems that will beat the fuck out of you. You don't have any of your gear, and things have gone wrong. And you may come into Baldur's Gate 2 going, huh? Wait a second. What the fuck is all of this? Why am I here? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And if you didn't like kind of read a lot of the text in the backstory of Baldur's Gate 1, you may not learn that that was Saravok's plan, and the fact that you killed him disrupted that entire plan, but also put you on the radar of somebody else that knows what you are. Right, right. And, and may try be trying to use you to take your power so that he now can become the god of murder. Right, and that's... that's uh somebody that I'm, you know, I'm on the path trying to catch up with that person uh, now in Baldur's Gate 2. So to be mm-hmm. continued with that. Um, Absolutely. You mentioned Siege of Dragonspear, which is part of the Enhanced Edition. It kind of fills in the gap between Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. I skipped that. Um, I read someone was like, if you don't play the Siege of Dragonspear, you're not going to understand why Imoen can do magic now. And I was like, I don't... She can do magic now. That's cool. I don't need to. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Um, canonically, as you know, in Baldur's Gate 2, she's, she's a mage. She was right. a dual-class human that switched over from being a thief to a mage. Yeah. Um, Siege of Dragonspear does not have to do that. You can early on in her own character sheet, you can go, oh, she has the ability to become a mage and goes dual-class. Click. I get to be a wizard now. Mm-hmm. If you don't want her to be a thief, because quite honestly, there's some better thief characters than her. But she's, she's useful. 
The problem is, again, I won't spoil it, but all this is critical for Baldur's Gate 2. Yeah. But Siege of Dragonspear is much like a gap year. It goes in there and sort of explains how the hell your character ended up leaving, this, you know, essentially Baldur's Gate, getting pulled away on a mention to deal with Dragonspear, and then winding up in Om. This was something Beamdog decided needed to be done. Mm-hmm. So that they added this whole um, short adventure that would sort of fill the gap so that you wouldn't have players coming into Baldur's Gate 2 going, why am I in a wizard torture dungeon? Right. This makes no goddamn sense. The problem is Siege of Dragonspear is just a, a excuse to have a mass battle. It's set up that somebody goes to Dragonspear and realizes, oh, there's a whole bunch of devils waiting. There's a gate to the lower plains. We opened it. Now we have to deal with it. You get involved because you saved the, the Sword Coast and defeated Saravok. Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of this, of course, it triggers the person who realizes that you what you are, that you're a ball spawn, that you're useful, to come yeah. and collect you. Mm-hmm. The problem is the Siege of Dragonspear was controversial because of one pointless NPC that they wrote in as trans character. Okay. It just said, you know, I've always thought I was a man and I fight like a man. Everyone went, okay, cool. Couldn't recruit this person, had no more dialogue than that. But of course, the gamers TM uh, yeah, uh, the gamers. <laughs> went fucking batshit uh, that there would be a trans character in a fantasy video game that got him that was at that point 20 years old almost. Yeah. And only got some extra content. Even to the point where Wizards of the Coast and Ed Greenwood himself had to come out and say, there's always been queer characters in the Forgotten Realms. There have always been representation of these non-cis characters in the realms. We've had them plenty of times. We don't understand why y'all are freaking out. In the, <laughs> just freaking out because, you know, like you said, the, the capital G gamers TM, um, that's what they do. They freak out about shit that doesn't need to be, uh, mm-hmm. doesn't need to be freaked out about. Yeah. And unfortunately one, because someone's got their panties in a twist over something that's really nothing. Siege of Dragon Spear got, I think it got blown up. Like its spot got blown up way more than it, it should have been. And kind of really cast a negative light on this silly little adventure that is really just kind of a gap story that mm-hmm. was written well after the people of Interplay had, had moved on to Obsidian and Bethesda and all the other studios at this point that probably would have passed us by. But the miracle of the internet. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you played Siege of Dragonspear then, I assume. Most of it through, yeah. Enough to, and I can, like I said, I know how it ends. So, yeah. I mean, I guess I know how it ends too, because I know how Baldur's Gate begins. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. It, so I skipped it. I didn't feel like I was going to miss anything. And I started Baldur's Gate too. And it was just like, mm-hmm. uh, maybe I'll just have to check, you know, did I miss something? And, you know, like you said, fun not really side critical. Yeah, 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 but not anything critical. Yeah, it was it was never designed to be in there, and BM Beam Dob just felt, hey, new players are probably going to get confused. Let's yeah. just make a side story. Right now, um, obviously, we're not going to go into this um, in any detail, but the Throne of Ball uh, is a much more substantial uh, expansion for Baldur's Gate Two. And would you say that that mm-hmm. is uh, necessary and or like good? It is. It is very good. It's very well written. Okay. Is it necessary to complete Baldur's Gate 2? No. But what you'll learn 
is kind of the backs the kind of the, the reasons why Saravok did what he did. Okay. Cause he wasn't just born and go, ha ha, I am evil. He actually had a a plan. And he wasn't intending to become this like chaotic murdering tyrant. He intended to, you know, try and become something more useful. Make make sure that something like the time of troubles never happened again. But he's evil. He went with his his heavenly father's idea. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, he 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 will spend a lot of the game trying to really kind of explain to your character why I did what I did, which is like, you know, someone walking up to Hitler's ghost and Hitler going, you know, I had to plan for this whole thing and it was meant to be this and this and this and I will tell you why if it's a good plan. And you're sitting there going, no, dude, no. You just bungled this whole fucking thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it can be substantial and you can learn a lot okay. from it. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, if I um if I have time or maybe I need to make time to uh, to play that before doing the um the Baldur's Gate 2 episode. But uh, hey, we're mm-hmm. talking about a different game now. I think it's time to uh, to wrap this up. The cats are getting antsy behind you. Yeah. <laughs> so That's that would be Hank. So Yeah, what's up, Hank? Uh thank you so much for taking this time to um to give the uh, the other side of the experience with Baldur's Gate. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad to finally been on the show. It's been a very long time coming. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad to finally be here. Absolutely. So uh, another recommendation for everyone at the end of the show to check out Deleted Saves. Again, down in the show notes, you'll find links to everything uh, for that show, Twitter, stuff like that. And um, once again, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Phil, for uh, for your expertise and your time. And tune in next week for the next game to come out of the backlog. 